I want everybody, just briefly, to look back there at Jay and give him a clap, because, dude, that was awesome. We trained hard on this, and Jay has taken over the job of light guy and has done a phenomenal job. He's done a phenomenal job. So we have been telling you for the last few weeks, starting with our New Year's Eve service, that in 2012, the motto for One Love Church is going to be out with the old and in with the renewed. renewed. Last year, Pastor Brett, last year, it wasn't quite last year, last week, Pastor Brett shared with you uh, the first part of that series, which was let go of our past and forgive what is done, and did a phenomenal job at, at sharing the importance and what it really means to forgive your past. You know, out with the old is sometimes the most difficult part of this. You know, out with the old is, is easy to say. It's very difficult to do. This week, what I want to share with you is part two of our series, and it is to embrace God in your present. In order to do that, you have to repent what you must. Repent what you must. And we're going to look at repentance and what repentance really means. Because I think that religion has taught us one idea of what repentance means, and I think Scripture tells us a different idea of what repentance means. And for some of you tonight, what I'm going to share with you of what I believe repentance means is going to be a little bit different from maybe what you've learned. And you may think I'm absolutely crazy and have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm going to try to back up what I say. That's, that's not new, right? But I want to share with you a video. This is a video that has been going over the internet. I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it. Greg shared it with me this week. And when I saw it, I was like, whoa, whoa. And I read another article about it today that Greg shared with me. And that article said that it, just a couple weeks ago, this only had about a thousand hits, and now it has millions. It's spreading like fire. So I want you to watch this video, and then we're going to discuss a little bit about it. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice. Tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat. But it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging. I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. 
because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me, acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken. Which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man. Which is why Jesus hated religion, and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify. I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin. But if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men. But the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do. Jesus says done. Religion says slave. Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God, Christianity is God searching for man. Which is why salvation is freely mine, and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin, and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. Wow. What do you think? You know, there's, there's a lot in this video that I agree with, and there's a lot in this video that I don't agree with. But one thing you have to say about this video is it sparks something. And for a video to go from a thousand hits just a couple weeks ago to millions of hits now, it not only sparks something in me, it obviously sparks something in the community, and most likely in the Christian community. And part of that is because I believe that we have steered people into a false sense of security when it comes to sin and when it comes to repentance and what true and real repentance really means. So what I'm going to ask you to do tonight is we're going to flip around to about three or four different scriptures and, and we're going to talk pretty deeply and pretty intently about what repentance really means. And, and what I need for you to do is as we go through this tonight for you to really have a discussion with your own heart and to really ask yourself if you have ever truly 
repented. Because I believe as a church, if we're going to move forward in 2012 with this motto, with this identity of out with the old and in with the renewed, then we really need to understand what it means to repent. And as a church, we need to do so. So if you will, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. And we're going to begin to talk about the danger of religion. And I want to briefly say something about using the word religion. When you see a video such as this, interpreted in the way that it is, the thing that you have to realize is the way that people define religion may be completely different from the way that you define religion. The way that he defines religion may be completely different from the way that you define religion. So I'm going to attempt to share with you the way that I define religion and what I think he is pointing toward, and that is this, that religion often teaches that man can find his own redemption, okay? What it often teaches, and I'm not saying all the time, but what it often teaches is that if you do the right things, if you don't do the wrong things, and if you practice in the right way, you can get saved. And that is false. I want to make that very clear. You cannot do anything to ensure your salvation. Okay? I think what we have to identify when we begin to talk about this is that sometimes this insecurity that we have when we talk about religion, that insecurity is there because we oftentimes teach ourselves that we know the right way to go. And so we can stand up and we can say, if you follow all the rules, if you make sure that you don't sin and you do these things, and you will justify yourself in a sense. You will make sure that you're headed down the right path. And so what I want to suggest to you tonight is that when we talk about religion, what we really are asking ourselves is, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? And I don't believe that that is a bad word, like some people are teaching. What does it mean to be saved? What does it really mean to repent? Is religion a bad thing? What's the difference between religion and repentance? What's the difference between religion and relationship? And what's the difference between relationship and repentance? Who gets my focus? Where are my desires? Where are my temptations? What draws me? What brings me close? How do I receive salvation? Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 says this, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. 
For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Now here's key. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. You following that? Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We have to be careful whenever we begin to teach a doctrine and whenever we begin to discuss salvation, if we start to get to the area where we begin to say to ourselves, as long as you don't do these things, or as long as you do do these things, we begin to build lists and we begin to say to people that if you follow these rituals, if you pray in a certain way, if you don't sin or if you don't do these things, if you are a perfect individual, then you will find your way to heaven. Because what people begin to do is to build a faith on God that is dependent only on how good they can be themselves. Are you following me? So the first time that you slip up, the first time that you sin after you have become a Christian, then you doubt yourself, then you doubt your faith, and then you doubt God. And you begin to say to yourself, I can never do this. And you have no idea the amount of people that I talk to. My best friend, the best man in my wedding included, who have said to me that I will not become a Christian until I can do it right. Do you know why he says that? Because he's been taught that to be a Christian means you need to be sinless. And, and we can shake our heads at that and say that's awful, but the truth of the matter is that is how we teach. That's what we say oftentimes. When I was a kid, I lived in, in Houston, Texas. And I was about eight years old. And some of you may know this story. Uh, I received Jesus as my personal Savior at eight years old at Vacation Bible School. Right? Goliath. This big man. I was little, so maybe he wasn't all that big. But at the moment, he was huge, right? And I went down to the altar because he stood up there and he literally said, and I remember it because it scared the snot out of me. Right? If you don't come down here, you're going to go to hell. Right? Well, guess what all the kids in Bible school did? We all went down. Right? And I will never forget that Goliath knelt beside me and decided that I was the one he was going to pray with. I don't know why. But his breath was rank. And that is the thing that I remember about my first salvation moment. That Goliath's breath was rank. And I will never forget it. But the point is this. We often teach people that you hold the keys to your salvation. We often teach people that if you could just be good enough, and if you could ask Jesus to get rid of your sins, then you'll be in heaven one day. And the truth of the matter is repentance doesn't have anything to do with that. And that is a difficult thing to say because we are all taught the same thing from a child. But repentance has nothing to do with confession. It's two completely different things. The danger of religion, or how we have defined it tonight, is that often it points to your ability 
to save yourself. Repentance is understanding that it's time for you to get rid of self. It is a heart issue solely. And what we need to understand is repentance is about us and God. Repentance is about relationship and what God chose to do in order to be with you. And if we could tell people about repentance instead of about their sin, if we could teach people repentance instead of just judging, I think we could talk a whole lot more people into experiencing the love that we all experience. And there would be a whole lot less criticism and fear. And there would be a whole lot fewer hypocrites when the focus becomes God and not ourselves. Religion, the danger of religion is when it points to man atoning oneself because religion is not repentance. Repentance doesn't point to self. Repentance points to God's forgiveness. There's really two types of repentance. There's worldly repentance and there's godly repentance. And there's two great examples of this in the Bible. So we'll, we'll do the worldly repentance first. Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9 is a perfect example of worldly repentance, right? What happens in worldly repentance? Exactly what happened with Pharaoh. The Bible tells us the Pharaoh's heart was hard, right? Pharaoh's heart was hard. And so when Moses and Aaron would go to Pharaoh and they would say, okay, listen, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, no, right? And then God would say, take that. And then all of a sudden Pharaoh would say what? Oh, God, I repent. I'm sorry. Just stop. And so God would stop, and then things would get better. And then what would Pharaoh do? He'd go, oh, you know what, Moses, never mind. You know, yeah, just kidding. Life's a lot harder when you, when you live that way. And so Moses would come back with Aaron, and he would say what? Let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, No. And God would say, take that. And Pharaoh would go, what? Oh, God, I repent. Literally, his words, I repent. And then things would get better. And then he would say, never mind. All the way to the very end, all the way to the moment when God did the most difficult thing. And Pharaoh said, I've had enough. I can take no more. Just take your people and go. And so they did. And what happened? Things got better. The mourning eased a, a, a bit. And Pharaoh began to think, it's not that bad. I can make another one of those. I'm getting my people back. So what happened was, in his worldly repentance, there was no change in heart. 
So the decision to ask God to forgive him, the decision to repent, was simply based on how he felt in the moment. Now there's a difference between that and let's go to David in Psalm. David wrote some beautiful songs in the midst of this moment of repentance. Change my heart, O God. In the midst of this, after David had done these horrendous things, he comes back and when he repents to God, what does he say? Change my heart, O God. Repentance points to God's forgiveness. It's a change of heart. It's not a remove the sin out of my life. The confession follows the repentance. The confession is a part of living a life. Let me slow down. 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, 18. That's what Christ did definitively, suffered because of other sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive. Why? To take away your sins? Why? To bring us to God. To bring you to God. What happens is in your selfish desires, what you think is, if you can get rid of these things that quite honestly make you feel bad anyway, if you can get rid of your sins and you can go to God and you say, God, forgive me, and then tomorrow what happens? You wake up and you do the exact same thing all over again. We've all been in this weird cycle, right? Where you, you go to God, you confess, and then what happens? The next day or a week later, you know, you're strong, you're in the Word, you're in the Bible, you're praying, everything's good, and you fall right back into the same situation. You do the exact same thing, and then you say, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, oh, God forgave me. I'm back in this good grace. I'm back in the Bible. I'm back to praying. I'm back to doing the right thing. That lasts a couple weeks, and then what happens? You fall back into the same situation. It's this unholy awful cycle that you get into because somebody has told you along the way that if you ask God for forgiveness, then everything is good. And that's not true. The truth of the matter is you have to repent. You have to turn. That's the definition of the word repent, to turn. You have to turn and to understand that your heart has to change. It's what Paul said. When Paul made those very strong words and he said, I die. And Christ lives in me. That's what he meant. These things that were so important to me, these things that are drawing me down into sin, these things are the old and they are the things that I am leaving behind. These are the things that I leave. The old is gone and in with the renewed heart, the changed heart. The heart that desires God. Not the heart that desires not to sin. The heart that desires to be with God. When you have a heart like this, then you do like David did. Then you can stand in the street in your underwear and people can think you are absolutely insane. But even in that moment, you will glorify God. 
that when these evil and hard things fall onto your life, even in those moments, you will glorify God. You will know that God is in life and God is in death. You will know that God is in joy and God is in pain. You will know that in everything you go through, may God be glorified. That's what it means to have a changed heart. It's not about us any longer. The old me is gone. The new me moves forward. And God is going to ask me to do some crazy things. But you know what? When my passion is for God, they're not so crazy anymore. My money and all these challenges when it comes to tithing and, oh my gosh, how much do I give and don't give and everything. None of that becomes relevant anymore when your passion, when your heart has changed and you realize it's all his. The desires of your heart, Scripture tells us over and over and over again. You know, the Bible 28 times talks about God repenting. God repenting. 111 times repentance is in the Scripture. And 28 of those times is God. 28 of those times means God looked at his people and changed his mind and turned. How many times do you think God looked at the, his people and thought, maybe I could wipe them out a second time? Maybe, just maybe. No one would know, right? Right? Repentance is turning to God. Relationship points to salvation. You know, the most difficult part, when you, when you really repent to God and you say, there, the old is, is past, and God, now I move forward with you. The hard part of that is there are going to be things that you're going to have to let go of. And for you to really repent, and this is part of that confession process, and this is when I want to bring this in. Because with relationship comes salvation, intimacy, and those unbelievable moments with God. Because when your heart desires God, then what your heart desires none of is the world. And so the Holy Spirit, enter, begins to play an unbelievable role and begins to show you things in your life that you need to release and get rid of. In comes confession. Confession is part of my daily life. You know that, that, that scripture we talked about at Wednesday night where Paul says, I am the king of all sinners. <laughs> Do you know why he could say that? Because Paul had repented long before that. That amazing moment on the road, he got to have the light moment. I think we all wish we could have the light moment, right? Paul got to have the light moment. And Paul repented right there. And the cool thing about that is, is there was this hunger in Paul's soul. And the scripture tells us that immediately he went to Damascus and begin to preach the gospel immediately. 
Everything he had grown on, was trained on his entire life, immediately he goes and does something completely different because his heart had repented, had changed. And his desire was to fulfill what God had called him to do. His desire was to be in relationship with God. His desire was to be with God as much as God's desire was to be with him. His desire, which, by the way, he paid for with his son. You see, when you repent, then even that moment takes on a whole new realization. Even that moment takes on a whole new realization. Because people can stand up here and tell you all day long that Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was crucified for your sins. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus was sent to take your place so that God could be with you. That's how important you are. That's how important you are. God wanted so desperately to be with you that he had his son pay your penalty. It's a whole new meaning. Jesus did not die for your sin. Jesus died for you. To pay the ultimate penalty so that God could be with you. (laughs) That's crazy. Let me tell you something. I love my son. I love my son. And my son went through something last night you know, Jam won't embarrass you a little bit, so forgive me. But you will notice my son has a black eye, right? My son got punched in the eye. I got to tell you something. I could have flipped my house last night. I was so mad about it, right? There was an anger inside of me that someone would harm my child, <laughs> my precious little baby boy. I mean, look at that red-headed kid. Nobody wants to hit him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But somebody did. And there was something inside of me that wanted to end people. <laughs> and so when I began to think of the moment when this plan was hatched, And to think about Jesus kneeling in that garden and praying to God and saying, Father, if there is any other way and not getting the answer he wanted. (laughs) Because God cared that much about you. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. <laughs> 
The old things have passed away. Does that sound familiar? The old things have passed away, and behold, what? New things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Here's my favorite part. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I hate to tell you this, but you touch my son and I start counting the ways that you have treated me bad. You quickly become an enemy. Verse 20, what happens? You really understand this. You repent, your heart changes, and what happens? Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The question I ask you, is your heart really changed? Have you really repented? Because I have to be honest with you, as I was preparing this, I had something completely different for today. And today, I was just telling Brett about it, today, totally discarded it and started working on this. And while I was doing it, I was thinking, and I was sitting on the couch with my wife, and I was, because when I get excited about things, and I feel the Holy Spirit moving, my wife gets bombarded, right? So I'm telling my wife, honey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What about this? What about that? What if we use this? Does this verse make sense? What if we did this? What do we do that? And Sarah usually sits on the couch, you know, on her iPad. She's like, yes, honey, whatever. (laughs) You know? But she said something for once that was really smart. Wait, did I say that? Did I say that out loud? Hey, I just wanted to make sure you were all paying attention for what I'm about to say. (laughs) Repent. Honey, I'm sorry. (laughs) That was worldly. That was worldly. No, my wife, again, said something very brilliant. And I just felt like a ballerina when I did that. Or Vanna White. And that is this. She said, you know, honey, I would not treat you the way that I've treated God. And I thought to myself, I would not treat her or my kids 
or sometimes people who are very, very dear to me, m most of you. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. <laughs> I would not treat you the way that I've treated God in the past. And I'm going to tell you why it was easy for me to treat God in that way, because I hadn't repented, really. I had asked for forgiveness a lot, but I hadn't repented. And so I ask you this, how easy is it for you to turn your back on God? How easy is it for you to do the wrong thing, to ignore a command, to walk away from an opportunity, to ignore the needy, to embrace fear, to forget the power of God, to become what we say Wednesday night, a negative nanny, <laughs> to complain, to argue. How easy is it for you to turn your back on God? And if it's easy, if it's as easy for you as it was for me, then I want to ask you tonight to repent. Because as a church, for us to leave the old behind and move together with the renewed, we as a church have to repent together. Because we're going to be asked to do things that aren't easy like meet in the bingo hall for the next year or however long it may be. Bingo. We're going to be asked to love people who aren't easy to love. That's hard. We're going to be asked to support people who maybe we feel in our hearts don't need supported or shouldn't be supported. 2012, I'm telling you, I feel it in my heart. God is blessing this church. And in 2011, we grew times 10. So I know that in 2012, God's going to do something really, really spectacular. Because we have in our church a lot of leaders. And I don't know why. But I know that God doesn't put this many leaders in one place if he's not going to do something big. So we have to prepare ourselves for what God is getting ready to do with us. The best and only way to do that is to repent and to make sure that our heart is pointed in the right direction and that when God calls, it's not easy for us to say no, but it is our longing to say yes. Will you stand with me? I've asked you over the past few weeks to begin to create an impact list. If you, if you haven't heard me ask this, what an impact list is, it's a list of three or four individuals that God has really placed on your heart that maybe you've been praying for for a long time. 
I'm going to encourage you that if you have not done that yet, that you begin to really pray about this impact list. And you begin to write out names. Some of your lists may be one person. This is, this is the guy. I've been praying about for years, this guy. Some of your lists may be ten people. But I believe that God is going to do, and I just said it, I believe it, that God is going to do something spectacular through you in 2012. And the only way that that can happen is if we prepare ourselves. Part of that preparation is creating that impact list. Pray over that. Really seek that out. Ask God, who is that person that I can put on that list? And begin to create that list. As we move forward and we move into our next series, we're really going to start working on that and talking about that impact list. So I cannot stress that enough. Will you pray with me? I want to give you an opportunity. You know, one of the difficulties of being a church plant is that we don't have a praying room. We don't have kneeling benches up front. But I want to give you opportunity just the same, and I want to give you a few moments before I close this in prayer, that if your desire on your heart tonight is to turn to God, if tonight is the night for you to receive repentance, then take these next few moments and pray that prayer. And this is what I want to ask you to do. If you pray that prayer tonight, please come see me. Please come see me, because I want to celebrate that with you. Because that's an amazing thing. Let's pray. God, may our hearts cry for you. Father, may our passion be you. May our desires be you. Father, may we love as you would have us to love. May we forgive as you would have us forgive. Father, renew our hearts. Make our spirit right. God, as a church, we pray. I don't know what it is, Father, about us that you embrace so much, but God, I thank you. I thank you for finding me important. I thank you for reaching for me, for calling for me. And God, I pray that in every way, in every decision, in every thought, in every moment, in every conversation, in every interaction, that, Father, you are glorified. That in me, people see you. I love you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name. We pray, amen.